0: Lead me to some soul today oh, teach me
1: Lord, just Welcome everyone to episode number 14 of a series of episodes called Leading Others to Christ. During these episodes, and those of you that have been watching these, you know this, but during these episodes we'll be focused on evangelism. Uh, one of our goals, and we have several, but one of our goals is to stir each other up. Uh, as the scriptures say, to stir each other up to love and good works, but especially in the area of reaching our family, our friends, and our neighbors with the gospel of Christ. My name is Dan Barker, and I preach for the Creekside Church of Christ in Franklin, Indiana, uh, where I also serve as one of the shepherds. For those of you that don't know, we've been doing this every time too, Franklin is about 20 miles south of downtown Indianapolis, Indiana. And uh, so those of you that know me know that I'm passionate about evangelism, and I have been ever since I obeyed the gospel when somebody reached out to me, or several somebody's reached out to me to teach me uh, the gospel, uh, and that all happened when I was about 21 years old in Owensboro, Kentucky. And ever since then, I've been striving to learn more. I'm still a work in progress, but striving to learn how to teach others, how to sow the seed, using some Bible phrases here, be a fisher for men, how to make disciples, how to persuade men and women, and, and to teach others to teach. And I've been mentioning in this passage, uh, I think probably every interview, 2 Timothy two two, when Paul was talking to Timothy there, and he gave him this instruction that we need to remember. He, Paul said, and the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So I came up with this idea to identify the Christians out there, men and women, who are involved in leading others to Christ. I wanted to find out who are they, where are they, how are they doing their work, and and interview them. And that's, that's what we're doing today, and to ask some questions. And hopefully there'll be some takeaways uh, from each one of these that can help us to be better equipped in leading others to Christ. And we're excited today to have uh, someone with us uh, we're gonna learn a lot from. And I've known him for quite a while, And so I encourage you to get out your yellow pad or your paper and your pen and take some notes. But our guest today is Steve Wolfgang, and Steve works with the Downers Grove Church of Christ in in Chicago. So welcome, Steve.
0: Thank you, Dan. Very good to be with you. I appreciate the efforts that you're making, and uh, we are all works in progress. I probably have accidentally stumbled on some things that might be helpful to others, uh, and I appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to talk about leading others to Christ, and being evangelistic in our out, out, outlook on life, and uh, creating a culture of evangelism.
1: No, that's that's great, and um, yeah, I was, we talked a little bit before the, the show started here, uh, trying to think about when we first met, and it's too long ago to, to really think <laughs> to think about, but, but anyway, I think it was, um, and I do want to touch on this, but we, I think, our paths might have crossed there at Florida College. I was a basketball coach in 1969, and when I was 23 years old, and and then I know I remember uh, spent the most uh, time with you in Lexington. We were worshiping. We had just moved there, Lexington, Kentucky, and we were worshiping with the University Heights Congregation. And you came and held a meeting, and, and then announced that you were going to do a, a restoration tour. I don't know if that's if that was what you called it, but uh, whatever. Yeah, but uh, anyway, Gay and I went on that with you, and it was just, uh, honestly, it was fascinating because uh, I grew up in Kentucky, but I didn't know the, I had read about the Restoration Movement, uh, but I did not know about the history there of the church in the Lexington and the surrounding area, and that was just, I've talked, I bragged on you for a long time about that, and uh, I learned so much, but uh, tell everybody what, what you did with that just real quick.
0: Well, this was uh, because I was living in Lexington, teaching at UK and uh, teaching history. I I was aware that uh, some of the early impulses in America, and we're talking early 19th century, 1801 to be exact. There was this revival, evangelistic revival that actually started a a few years earlier that spread across the, the great frontier. The great revival in the West, it was called. And it involved people like Barton Stone, who was at Cane Ridge in central Kentucky near Paris. And then he uh, made the acquaintance of Alexander Campbell, who was over in Virginia, what later became West Virginia up in the panhandle uh, near, near Pittsburgh. And so they kind of pulled their, their efforts and thousands of other people, but there was this big uh, evangelistic push that uh, they baptized thousands, of, tens of thousands of people in a relatively short time and encouraged individuals um, who, who had already made some profession of faith in a, various denominations, to simply come back to the Bible and leave all of the denominational creeds behind and uh, try to avoid uh, even having an unofficial creed. Uh, So that was the, the gist of what it was, and so I was interested in it and located some of the places where these people lived and preached and so forth, and I was glad for you and Gay to join us.
1: Yeah, it was as I said, it was fascinating, and how long has it been since you've done that?
0: Well, I've I've come back nearly every year since we we've, we've been in Chicago 12 years now. As hard as that may be to believe, it used wow. to do it three or four times a year when we lived in Central Kentucky at uh, at Danville and even in Louisville uh, before we moved to Danville back in the in the late 70s. Uh, I was doing these tours, but we've probably been back several times. Uh, sometimes I was in Georgetown for a meeting uh, maybe two years ago, and then at Campbellsville, I think uh, about the same time and. There are busloads of people that I, we have had people from Arkansas that brought a busload of people. And we spent a week going all the way from, met, met them in Nashville and went all the way up to Bethany, West Virginia, Campbell's home. Wow. So wow. I'm still kind of got my hand in it, but um, haven't <laughs> done anything since the COVID virus struck. Well, yes, yeah. I was actually supposed to be at University Heights in March, like March 22nd. And we had, uh, had set up the time and the arrangements to do one of these tours. And then, of course, COVID struck and uh, everything shut down here on March 11th. And I think mean, Kentucky shut down the following week. So they, they canceled the meeting and we'll reschedule at some point. So hopefully we'll get to do that.
1: Well, that's good. You know, I just, I, the, our time always goes so fast on this interview, but just think, I was just, this just popped into my head. Can you imagine the conversations that the Barton W. Stones and the other, the other characters around that time would have had like this of saying, how are we going to do this? Where are we going to go next? What, right? That that would have been a fascinating time to have been around.
0: Yep. Yeah. I, I, and I'm sure they did meet uh, and discuss things, but a lot of it was just, you know, common people, farmer, preachers, and or just farmers or carpenters, or whoever, just getting out and doing it. I mean, the old phrase, just do it. I think in some instances, there was not a lot of planning. In fact, As you know, when they got into a, I would call a hyper planning stage and overly planning stage produced missionary societies and so forth, that became a nub of controversy, uh, in terms of, you know, how it was funded, how it was organized and, you know, whether it was even a biblical concept, but, but yeah, I would love to be a fly on the wall for a lot of those conversations between those brothers. We,
1: uh, we've done this every time too, Steve, let's do this. Uh, just take a few minutes and give us a quick bio of where you were born and, uh, uh, this little I know there's a lot, but just a, a quick, uh, of who those that don't know Steve Wolfgang, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I was born and raised in Indianapolis where you guys are. I know Matt Maudlin's our, our kind of engineer behind the scenes here, but you guys are out there. I graduated from Warren Central and Butler uh, University, don't hold it against me. But <laughs> I was raised there, went to FC, uh, met my wife who's from Nashville. And so we kind of split the difference. Although we preached in Nashville and Atlanta. Uh, but we, we spent most of our time in Kentucky, so we were kind of halfway between Indy and, and Nashville, uh, first at Louisville, then at Danville, uh, as you mentioned earlier, maybe it was in the pre-show. I taught at the University of Kentucky, taught history, and uh, in fact, that's kind of where we got uh, familiar with each other, but I've done uh, some, we've been in Chicago now for 12 years, which is amazing to me, but um, I've done some overseas evangelism, um, our time in Atlanta was interesting, uh we, we came there in 1971 mean uh, this is three years after the king assassination uh this was J- jimmy carter was governor before nobody ever heard of him outside of georgia but lester maddox was still the uh the lieutenant governor you know passing out pickaxe handles down at his Pickwick restaurant and for people to go out and wail on folks and so we we moved to a church that was in a black community and actually had transitioned um and i mean these were you know, doctors and lawyers uh, in the African-American community. Hank Aaron had a house three blocks from church building. But here's this young green uh, Yankee <laughs> who comes into this situation and would love to have all kinds of mulligans in terms of what we did. But we went out into the community and tried to, to you know teach the gospel to individuals who didn't necessarily share uh, my cultural background or a lot of my assumptions. And uh, I learned a lot from that.
1: Yeah, no, that's, uh, well, it, it really helps those that are listening to, so they can connect with you a little bit. And who knows, just with that little bio, somebody could uh, feel more comfortable listening to you and want to know more about you and your work. Why is, uh, in your life, has uh, teaching and learning and education been such
0: an important part of your life? Why do you think? Um, well, I guess partly I was born with that uh, Midwestern sense of the need for education. Uh, my mother and father instilled that in me and, and uh, you know, opportunities they didn't have because of the Great Depression. Uh, they allowed me to, to, to go to school and were challenging me in terms of language and, and by biblical studies, particularly when I was a kid. I mean, you didn't get your... If you didn't have your Bible lesson done on Sunday and Wednesday, you were in big trouble and you did that before you did your Latin or your trigonometry or whatever. But I, for me, the impetus was getting into the Bible itself uh, as, as a teenager. And then when I went to Florida College, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I made a trip to Israel in the summer of 1967 after the Six Day War. And just seeing the land that Jesus walked, uh, making the Bible kind of come alive in some ways. Um, was was for me a huge impetus and the idea that he came not only to to redeem me to buy me back to to save me but that I have the need and the obligation and not just an obligation but the desire to share that good news with other people because it is is life-changing and I think sometimes we lose we can lose sight because we can get so programmatic of the the excitement and the, just the, the revolutionary idea of how liberating this is to be able to turn your life over to the Lord and to let him guide you through the teachings that he did while he was here and that he continues to do through the Holy Spirit and the revelation of God. I know
1: uh, hymns and singing uh, music has been a big part of your life as well. I know you're very involved in that. You post, you post hymns all the time.
0: Yeah, and again, that goes back to my childhood. I mean, my parents paid for music lessons. I was in a very good public school music program that was populated by people from the IU School of Music, which, as you probably know, is a world-class music school, and uh, all of that came to a head. I edited a hymnal, Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs, which came out in 2012, and it's not only taken from a biblical phrase, of course, in Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, but that was the title of Alexander Campbell's hymnal. He also was a hymnal editor among the many other things that he did. And uh, we didn't know why anybody else had not taken that title after his hymnal, after his death, nobody had. And so we decided that's a biblical and historical thing. But yeah, hymns, I think are very important uh, part of our corporate worship. Uh, One of the things I would like to emphasize in this program is that while it's important, obviously critical, for us to reach out and do initial contact evangelism, make make contact with people in our lives, try to get them interested in, and sitting down with us to do Bible study. But we, we, we are introducing them to a relationship with Jesus Christ that occurs in the context of other Christians. And so we come together to worship. We pool all of our imperfections and uh, the things that we've learned and haven't learned and so forth. And an important part of that is the, the hymn worship that we do. I mean, it's commanded in Scripture. It's just as much a part of the Bible as Acts 2.38 or anything else. And so I wanted to be a part of facilitating that and and helping people think about what are we singing when we sing? What are we doing when we worship? And not to just get caught up in the toe-tap and music as uh, sometimes the experience is, but to think about we are worshiping God. We are in the presence of the Holy and we are also edifying of the Christians. So yes, that's uh, thank you for bringing that up. It's an important part. And hymns do evangelism too. Oh, I mean, we are uh, singing. We are singing the gospel when we are singing these hymns. If if they're well written. Now there are hymns that are not very well done, and you have to recognize that as we tell uh, hymn writers who are trying to do that. If you don't recognize a bad hymn, you'll write bad hymns. But yeah, we're worshiping God. And uh, we are trying to edify other Christians, so that's an important point that I'm glad you brought up. Yes, sir.
1: All right. When we talked the other day, you said you had listened to all the interviews, and uh, you might be the only one that's done that. But but (laughs) thank you, thank you for taking the time to do that. And you had said that uh, in in your uh, some of your takeaways, I call them takeaways all the time. Yeah. uh, Listening to them, there were like four things that you kind of a theme that was running through all the interviews, and uh, and then you said you would like to introduce four themes or four ideas or things for us to think about today
0: and uh, uh, yeah, yeah, more, more than that now actually but I'll try to limit, I'll try to limit <laughs> it to four but yes there, there are a number of themes that came through in the interviews that I listened to um, the number one the big bullet point or takeaway is all Christians have to be involved in evangelism I mean most of your guys talked about that and specifically there has to be a culture of congregational evangelism. We have to create a culture of evangelism. And I think to use Ralph Walker's uh, a phrase that it's not just the preacher, it's not just the elders. it's not just you know three or four people that are quote, gifted at this. Uh, everybody in some way, now not the same way, but everybody has to be involved and we have to create this culture that being a Christian is more than just coming and sitting in a pew. Being a Christian is sharing at least on the level of, you know, here's what I did to become a Christian. I heard the gospel. I believed it. I accepted the offer that Jesus graciously makes. I've repented from my lifestyle, resolved to do better by his grace, and I was baptized for the remission of sins and a figure of his life and death and burial and resurrection to life again. And every everybody who's done that probably ought to be able to tell somebody else, this is what I did to become a Christian. This is why I did it. So now two other points, though, that I think come out in your in interviews is... The use of our physical facilities to make the building visitor friendly. You don't make people do the walk of shame when they come in to, to look at things with the eye of a visitor and then immediate follow up to visitors. Um, one thing we do at Downers Grove is we have and I, I forget where I stole this idea. It's not original with me, but we have what we call the five minute rule. As soon as the amen is said, of course, this is we're starting to repopulate our, our building. Now we've got people coming back and, and worshiping. We're, we're assembling in the building again. Um, but but at the amen, the first five minutes, you don't talk to your friends. You don't talk to people you already know well. Find a visitor and uh, spend some time. Introduce yourself or you know stand around and listen to somebody else who may have gotten there first. If you can't find a visitor or if they're already occupied, find somebody that you don't know well in the congregation. And make yourself known and if that turns five minutes into 10 minutes whatever then you can go back and talk with your buds and your friends but don't make that your first point of emphasis seek out a visitor seek out somebody that you don't know and get to know them better so uh those uh, those kinds of ideas there are a lot of other things um pray that god will bring you seekers it's not our job to force somebody to obey the gospel we are looking for those who are seeking, if you will. I liked uh, the idea of presenting the Bible as a whole. Don't just do piecemeal kinds of things. I think all these things are important. And here I am talking rapidly. The next point I had in the last one was just slow down <laughs> that, that we, we sometimes get too busy and we got too much on our minds and we, we maybe walk right past all kinds of opportunities. All that's really good. And I'll say amen to that. And appreciate what you're doing and bringing these uh, different perspectives together.
1: Well, i just like i said earlier i've been fascinated by it and it's interesting to me and we we you know we all know this but when you sit down with uh somebody and maybe it's an old friend or somebody new that's been one of the good things with me or benefits is that probably half of the ones that i've interviewed here I, i've never met them you know in person uh you i'm looking forward to doing that you and i have a past and uh and be sure. I think we were talking to her earlier, but you you know, you, you know how fortunate you are that you have Betty in your life. I, I do. We did. We've got it now. It's
0: on record, right? It's out here for in the so. Yes.
1: Be sure to tell Betty that we said
0: hi. And uh, all right, I, uh, I am her lifelong reclamation project, and she's running out of time. But yes, I <laughs> convey your your greetings to her. See, for those who don't know, my wife uh, had a career as a board certified psychologist for years, and still, even though she's quote unquote retired not in active practice anymore. The Christians call up all the time and, you know, even come to visit and say, help. And uh, she's good at giving that. And I appreciate you bringing her into the equation here, Dan.
1: Well, maybe we could, uh, this might put too much pressure on her, but I I want to interview women too that are involved in evangelism. And maybe we could uh, uh, find some time to interview Betty because she's got a great story. and uh, she does. But um, one of the things that we want to try to do is uh, to think about somebody in your past that you studied with. Uh, I don't know if the right word or phrase is to say conversion story, but you know what I mean. Uh, is there somebody you could share with uh, that that would be interesting for us?
0: Well, a couple of things that I wasn't directly involved in except sort of after the fact. Um, uh, there was a preacher, I, I won't name it. I don't know where he is now, actually. I'm not sure he's even, I mean, he may be there. but. He was a Hindu who worked in one of the New York museums, and a good friend of mine from F.C. happened to be visiting. I think it's the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Left a tract. Now we kind of want to emphasize personal thing, but there's still a place for tracts. He took it, eventually threw it in his desk, and then read it later, and that led to him to to a home Bible study in which he was converted and his family, and then he began to preach. I knew him in Louisville, one of the first places that that he preached, and was so was on a kind of the tail end of that story. Maybe the 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 most spectacular one was when we were in Danville um, in the local paper, we used to do a newspaper article. And again, you know, that falls in the category of kind of cold calling, door knocking uh, that but you get a contact. And eventually uh, somebody in Danville was sending the paper to her son, who's in prison in one of the federal penitentiaries, who then read the article in the paper, showed it to a cellmate who was uh, from South America. Uh, imprisoned on drug dealing that he was doing to get money for a uh, surgery for a member of his family and and he was converted and went back to south america and from that a whole network and cluster of christians and churches was begun again i'm uh, from what i understand he's no longer uh, preaching maybe no longer alive i don't think anybody really knows but those are stories about how kind of everyday routine things that that christians can do in terms of just you know passing out a track, making a comment to somebody, uh, sending somebody a newspaper article, that get, that's the point of contact. That gets the ball rolling, and, and the, the Lord the Spirit will take that wherever it needs to go, wherever there are people who are seeking. So that may not be as, uh, as life-changing as some of your other stories, but there it is.
1: No, I think uh, no, that's really good, and thank you for that. You, know, you heard this in listening to the interviews, and I forget who it was that first brought it up. But the, the phrase, what if I'd never dot, dot, dot. It's like, what if I had never left that track? Whoever left that track, right? What if I had yeah. never written that article for the newspaper? What if I had never said something to the, you know, you just go on and on. And sure. we don't know. I don't, I'll say, I don't know and uh, the, and understand completely the providence of God, of how God works. And I don't know that anybody fully understands but to how God works, he knows the ones that are in our community that are willing and that those seekers you mentioned earlier, he knows where they are. And, 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 uh, I don't know. I I just, we can't, like you said, the the little things that we do can end up being huge in the life of somebody else that could be, like you say, in
0: South America, in another country. And particularly, let me make this point. I wanted to not let us run out of time before we make this point that, these podcasts that we're doing and you know betty's done a lot of them dealing with uh, women and counseling so forth i've been i've probably done more teaching in some ways during covid by way of zoom meetings than i was doing before covid i mean you think you'd not be busy and you're kind of you know quarantined at home for a large part of that time but but these internet uh things are, are the correspondent of what in the 1970s we did in louisville before talk radio was popular we had a talk radio program that several of us from various congregations uh, each congregation would pay the time that week and you'd go on this program on wfia and it was supposedly the most listened to program in louisville according to their research before drive time and although it took maybe two years to get any traction at all before there started to be baptisms more than a hundred people maybe i don't know what the count is now maybe close up to 200 eventually were contacted from that program and the point is you never know who's listening. And uh, we would be talking with callers, and sometimes they'd get very aggressive and and very pugnacious, and you kind of have to rein in your own emotions and not answer like and like. Um, But you're also, you don't know who else is listening. In fact, you you have to be aware of the fact that there's somebody, and you're talking to them one-on-one. When you're doing something like this or like radio, you may have an audience of hundreds or thousands or whatever, but you're talking to the woman standing at her sink peeling potatoes or the guy driving down the road listening to you on, on his car radio or maybe, you know, the. And I mean, you could gather for a podcast. That's, that's certainly true. But we're talking to individuals, and we have to, we have to speak to them as individuals. Um, but all of these kinds of things, a radio program, street preaching, newspaper, door knocking, cold calling, whatever, has to lead to sitting down with somebody at the kitchen table or the dining room table with Bibles open. That's where conversions to Christ happen in my experience. Now the other is necessary and good. It gets an establishment. And the other point that I want to emphasize, and this will take a whole program to unpack this, but we, we treat our new converts like I've heard different people say, We like bringing a newborn home and bringing the sitting in the car seat up on the kitchen table and say, Welcome. Milk's in the fridge. Diapers over here in the corner. Make yourself at home. Um, that is not, that's not how that works. And no. it doesn't work that way with new Christians either. They, they require constant attention. And so one thing we started doing at the church, actually, in Marion, Indiana, 60 miles north of Indianapolis, where I went straight out of FC's before we moved to Atlanta, is we started a, a deal there that probably was not original. And we've done it everywhere else. When we would baptize somebody, and that was a church that grew from like 39 members originally. It was a swarm out of another congregation. We grew in two years to about 125, uh, bought an old building and and were meeting in it. But when when we started baptizing people, we we didn't want to just say milks here and diapers over there. So we started a thing where uh, a new convert, the very next week after they were baptized, they would be invited to somebody's home and another family from the church would be there also to grill burgers, you know, eat spaghetti, whatever, and then they would have a Bible study. The next week that would be handed off to the second family who knew what questions were involved and so forth. The second family would invite a third family. They would be passed off to a third and a fourth. And so by the time we went through five or six or seven lessons in, you know, the John Hurt or whatever thing we were doing back in the 1960s and 70s, they were not only getting more Bible teaching. When they came to church, they were not strangers. They, they now knew, you know, five, six, seven, eight families uh, that they had been in their homes and had sat around and talked fishing or hunting or basketball or whatever uh, else they, they, they might have in common. And so I think that element of not just evangelizing and then dropping people, which too often is what happens, uh, has to be emphasized. Now, sometimes churches go too far the other way, and we become simply places where we're teaching other Christians and we're not doing the evangelistic part of reaching out. There has to be a balance between those parts of the equation. I think that's one of the main things that, that has to be emphasized.
1: Yeah, it's uh, in, in, in some places, the focus, is. it seems like it's not balanced at all. It's all yeah. inside yeah. or it's all outside. I don't, I don't know if I've ever found one that's all focused outside. But, yeah. uh, you know, I know uh, just I want to give you a uh, floor just for a few minutes here about your involvement with uh, truth. Uh, when we when we talked the other day, you'd even mentioned uh, uh, the Truth Lectures a couple of years ago, where the uh, uh, it was focused. I think the title it was uh, the thing was focusing on evangelism. Yes. And uh, but just just what what would you like to say about the the Truth uh, your involvement there with them?
0: Well, Truth Publications is a consortium of uh, individual Christians who publish several different things. I mean, there's a paper called Truth Magazine. It's still a physical paper, one of the few left, but it's also digital. We also publish Bible class material for sort of that side of the equation for helping Christians. You know, some um, people will criticize Bible class literature and some of it's not good, even some of ours probably, but it beats the, it, it helps teachers keep away from the, let's read one verse and it means what it says. And then we read the next verse and it means what it says give a little more depth. We also publish uh, the hymnal uh, that we talked about earlier uh, and and other things. So, but we also do a lectureship uh, down in Athens, Alabama, and so we have a theme every year. And several years ago, we wanted to focus on evangelism. We had republished uh, Brother Charles Goodall's book, uh, which I know you're familiar with, that has been instrumental in helping churches become more evangelistic. And uh, Charles has set a tremendous example uh, for for us uh, in that regard. So we we had a forum and uh, a whole series of themed lectures about that. So evangelism has got to be at the center of what we do. I mean, that's the point of the publishing company that the truth publications is, is to get the gospel out as widely as possible. And uh, Matt helped us several years ago, set up a, a digital library of things that are available to congregations or could be we're we're revising that and trying to update it. But that's the 92nd elevator speech on, uh, on publications there. Okay. So many different ways you'd go. I'd, I'd love to talk about overseas evangelism, which you ask about what was life changing for me uh, in, in one way, you know, going to places like China uh, or Eastern Europe as communism was starting to fall. I taught in Vienna at International Christian University and was going out. This is like the late uh, probably 1990 at that point, right after the wall came down um, and even working among churches in Australia trying to train preachers, that's the other, probably ought to do a, a podcast on that one, you know, we had this program at Danville for years, where we were trying to reduplicate our efforts, I can't go everywhere, I can't reach everybody, but if I can, you know, Second Timothy 2, verse 2, if I can commit the word to faithful men who will be able to instruct others also, and these guys have gone out, and they're preaching in South America, and Colombia, and Chile, and in Eastern Europe, in Germany, or have, have been there, in Spain, I mean, some of these places I've been, but some of them I will never go, but somebody that I've had a hand in trying to help train or, or help guide them into how do you learn the truth and teach the truth to others, there's a little bit of me in all of that, and I hope a lot of the Lord in all of that, but we, we have, just have to do the best that we can to get the seed out of the barn and to get as many people as we can to go back to our original idea of creating this culture of evangelism that we have to be sharing the gospel with other people.
1: So good. It's our last thing. We call it the one thing. Uh, And it's, it's not fair to do that to people, I guess, but if somebody's listening and they're excited and they say, you know what, I know I'm supposed to do this and I'm going to, okay, I'm going to change. If 2020 is going to be the year that I'm turning my life around here as a Christian and I'm going to start trying to reach out to others. What is one thing that somebody needs to know or one thing they need to do to get involved in leading others to Christ?
0: Uh, the one thing is Jesus is Lord, and he died for me, and he wants me to share that good news with other people. So as Christians, we have to be about discovering God's grace and sharing it with others. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Well, I tell you, uh, we, I, I've got a whole yellow pad here of notes, but uh, so many other topics we need to follow up on. Steve, thank you so much. It's good to see you again. And Yes. Uh, we love you and Betty, and uh appreciate so much all the work that you've done and that you continue to do. And, and uh, thanks for spending this time with us today. And we will follow up and we will talk to you soon. So thanks again All right. for being
0: Thank you very much. Uh, it's been enjoyable and I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Ray, melt my heart and fill my life. Give me one soul today.